We are going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark tonight, chapter 1. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's in your handout, so you actually don't need to do anything, except for if you have a handout. It's also on the screen. Thank you, Caroline Kelly, for pulling together. I just want to point out something. This is not stationary. You see it moving? I see you, Caroline. I see you, okay? This is MVP status on the uh, announcement slides. Um, But we're studying the Gospel of Mark and these conversations that Jesus had with, um, with folks. And these Gospels, they're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They start the New Testament of the Bible, and they are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life. And so um, if you're here tonight and you are even remotely interested in knowing what God is like, then these conversations that Jesus is having are for you. Because Jesus actually um, considers himself to be God come in human form. And so when he is interacting with someone, we are beholding God interact with someone. And uh, I wonder how many of you are familiar with the song Respect by the great soul queen Aretha Franklin. Anybody familiar with that song? All right. Uh, Our queen Aretha went home to be with the Lord a couple years ago. But Respect is one of her great songs. And um, but what you may not know, if you if you're like, I don't know if I know that song. It's the one that goes R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. Yeah. Um, What you may not know is that that song is actually a cover of a song by a guy named Otis Redding, um, who sang uh, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. He's from my hometown. He's one of my favorite musicians. But in the original version of Respect, Otis Redding um, takes a little bit of a different approach than Aretha does. He, basically, the point of the song is, I'm as uh, the man of the house, I'm working all day, and I'm bringing home, I'm about to give you all my money, and all I ask is for a little respect when I come home. And it has very strong sexual undertones as well. And, um, and so Aretha comes along. She's a little bit younger than Otis. And she, Otis made the song a hit. And she takes the song. And, but she doesn't just cover it. Um, she basically inverts the song and recontextualizes it and changes the meaning completely. Because she, she basically is saying, um, I love you. You're out. You're working all day. You're going to come home. But all I'm asking for is a little respect when you come home. Um, and then she adds the line, actually, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Like, do I need to spell it out for you? <laughs> R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. And I've always loved listening to their versions alongside each other because they're the same song, but they have completely different meanings. Um, Once you hear the Aretha version, it's just kind of hard to go back to the Otis version, unless you're just into misogyny and that's like, that's your thing. Um, Love Otis, not his finest moment. Um, Many of you uh, know a song in your heart about God. Not like a particular song like Amazing Grace, but there is a song that you have heard. Um, Maybe it's growing up in a religious environment. Maybe it's just what you've cobbled together from studying, from culture. And it's a song about what God is like. 
And that song may be a lovely song to you. It may be a song that you love to hear when it comes on that fills you with good feelings. Um, it might be a song that makes you cringe when you hear it. Because like, it's like listening to the original Otis version of Respect. It just makes you feel a little bit icky when you hear it. Um, it might be a song that's not super interesting to you. Or the song that you have in your heart about God might feel like it's a song in another language. I like the beat, but I have no idea what the words mean. But what I'm hoping for each of us, because each of us do have a song in our heart about God, is that by actually exploring how Jesus interacts with people, that he might tweak that song and actually recontextualize that song like Aretha did for Otis's song and make it into a song that's empowering and beautiful, a song that draws us to God. And so whenever we look at Jesus, it's a gift because we're actually looking at God. And this is what hap- uh, happens here that Mark records in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. This is the word of the living God. I want to invite us just to just a moment of stillness before we receive God's word. So just take a moment to be still. a great song and are you okay all right all right (laughs) it's like you wanted to have a moment of stillness and then god was like nah you need this michael jackson instead um all right mark one starting in verse 40 and a leper came to jesus imploring him and kneeling said to him On his knees in front of Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out, this is the leper, and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive. That's that's what you say, that your word is active, um, that you breathe it out and that you speak to our souls with it. And Lord, each of us are in different places when it comes to faith. But Lord, you are able to speak to each of us. So we pray that you would intrigue us, that you would teach us a new song about you, a song that's beautiful, that resonates with our hearts and draws us to you because you are love. Pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. I wonder, this is for first years, um, have you had an experience yet? 
where you went to swipe into a building and it did not work. All right, I see that hand, George Bulldogs. Um, I see that hand. Um, I have that experience all the time because I haven't gotten a wake one card yet, even though I've been waiting for it. So yesterday I went to South Hall to go to freshman fellowship and I was just standing outside the door like a loser and feeling really creepy because I'm like 40 years old waiting outside the South Hall door. Nothing says that you're an outsider like not being able to swipe into the building that you're trying to get into. I coach my daughter's uh, soccer team. I know nothing about soccer. But the swans, wow, someone, that was deep. Thanks, Mary Harriet. They are the swans. We have one rule, which is when you score, the whole team has to fly like swans. And if you don't fly like a swan, you get benched. Um, <laughs> that's a true story. We had five new swans today at practice. It's the first practice of the season. And we had five new swans, and we welcomed them into the swan family. And um, what we do at every practice is we go around and we say our name and answer a question about ourselves, and each person says, I'm awesome. And then the rest of the team says, you're awesome. But the new swans were like, I'm awesome. You know, they didn't, they didn't get it yet. They don't yet believe that they are awesome, but we'll get there. Um, they felt like outsiders calling themselves awesome, which made me a little sad because they're 10-year-old girls. Um, you may know what it feels like to be an outsider. I would guess, especially if this is your first semester, that um, you've been expending a lot of energy the last few weeks trying to not feel like someone on the outside looking in. You don't want to be left out of this whole thing that's happening. Jesus in this passage is speaking with someone who is the ultimate outsider. And what I want to do is basically just look with you at at what it meant to be a person with leprosy and then to see how Jesus responds to him and see what Jesus might show us about himself. So here's what I mean about this guy being an outsider. It says Mark writes here that he is a leper. Um, That could have meant any kind of skin disease, any kind of uh, outward skin disease or like sort of need to see a dermatologist, which had not been created yet. And back in the day, um, God's people, Israel, back in the Old Testament days, and and what we call the Old Testament of the Bible, there were lots of laws and regulations that had to do with your skin, which it feels like that's the same as today, but instead of the Old Testament, we just call that Instagram, um, that there's lots of ways that your skin has to be in order to be acceptable. I thought that was going to get a laugh, but it didn't because maybe it was just like, oh. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, in the Old Testament, there was lots of, of laws and regulations. And it was all about like what people could eat, what they could wear, how they went about their lives, what was going on with their skin. And what God was doing... Um, when, you, when you would have a skin disease, it would be required that you had to go to the priest and offer these certain kinds of sacrifices. And while you had this skin ailment, you were considered untouchable. That God's people lived in the camp or in a city and you had to live outside of that city. You couldn't be near your family. You couldn't be near your community. You had to be put outside. And what God was doing was not just picking on people that had skin problems. What he was doing was using these outward things that people go through to help all of his people see what they were like on the inside. What he was doing was offering them this spiritual x-ray. 
An x-ray shows your insides on, on the outside. It helps you see what's within. And what God was, was trying to, to show them um, was that our rebellion against God does something to us that makes us outside of life with God. And something has to happen in order to bring us back in. What he was trying to show everybody, all of his people, was, hey, we are a mess. We failed. We need to be brought back in by a sacrifice. Um, Something has to be done to make us clean. Just like something has to be done to clean our skin, something has to be done to restore our relationship with God and to make us healthy and whole again. And the reason why is because he wanted his people to know that he was holy, that he was pure, that he was clean. Um, and I don't know how that strikes you. I don't know what it was like to grow up to be being you when I say, like, God is holy, God is pure, um, and why that should really matter. But really, each of us, if, if there is a God, uh, we want him to be holy. <laughs> We want him to be pure. We want him to be the kind of being that when we come to him, we find life and wholeness. Um, And we we actually move like this a lot. I've witnessed the birth of three children live and in person. It is crazy every single time. And I will tell you that if you are in the room for a childbirth, um, especially if if it's a C-section, you are not bringing your dirty self up in that space, okay? You scrub up. You put on whatever the doctor asks you to put over your hair and whatever smock they ask you to put on because you are actually entering into something that's so beautiful and so epic that you, you don't bring dirtiness and uncleanness into that space. Uh, gentlemen, um, the statistics say that many of you will be married one day to, uh, to a woman, and you will discover on that day that you have different standards of what's acceptable to come into the sheets of the bed in terms of foot cleanliness than the person that you married. <laughs> you are very likely just a person that climbs into bed and goes to sleep. And you will find that the person that's sleeping next to you has different ideas about how clean your feet should be. Because she probably appreciates that this is a clean and restful and beautiful place. And you will learn to clean yourself before you enter into a place of beauty. All of these clean laws in the Old Testament were there to help God's people examine themselves. And to see that they needed God to cleanse them and make them whole. But over time, as things work, God's people stopped seeing those signs as something about themselves and actually just said, who can, how can I just stay outwardly clean so I can separate myself from people who are outwardly unclean? And they spent a lot of effort um, taking care of themselves so that they could ignore their inner spiritual issues. And you know this, if you've ever been in a church environment or religious environment, a lot of energy goes into just not being like people that are on the outside Um, or not being like other people that are on the inside, but maybe behave a little bit differently than you do. Um, Being clean or unclean became something that was purely physical and a great way to judge others and separate yourself from them. And uh, maybe you've had that experience since coming to Wake. Maybe you've had that experience coming to RUF. I hope not, but maybe... 
Um, you may feel like if you don't act a certain way or dress a certain way or talk a certain way, that you're going to be on the outside looking in. And generally, most of us will do whatever it takes to not be on the outside. And my guess is that some of y'all are already feeling pretty drained by that. So this man who's on the outside, who's untouchable, who cannot be with his family, um, who is receiving the judgment, instead of his disease causing people to look inward, it's causing them to push him away. He comes up to Jesus and he kneels before him. And he says, if you will, make me, you can make me clean. In his desperation, he comes to a random traveling teacher and kneels before him and asks him to make him clean. And what I want to look at together is how Jesus responds. Look at the first thing that, he, that, that Mark writes here, or just listen. The guy says, if you will, you can make me clean. Mark writes, moved with pity. The first thing that Jesus does is that he feels deeply for this man. The first impulse of most people, if this person came and knelt down before them, would be to move back from them, to feel upset in their stomach or kind of grossed out by this person. But actually the word here, what it means is that Jesus is moved in his guts, in his stomach, that he responds not with disgust, but with compassion and empathy. He sees a man and knows what must it be like to be you. You can't be touched by your family. You can't be welcomed into your community. Um, you may have heard it said that the way to someone's heart is through their stomach. I think Ian believes that, and that's why he bakes all those delicious baked goods for prayer. He's trying to get that heart activated, so he's got that delicious focaccia or whatever we're having. What did you make? Cinnamon rolls on Monday? Cinnamon rolls. Morning prayer. You may have heart problems because of that. Zing. Amazing. Um, Jesus' belly shows his heart. He hurts for this man. Um, I wonder if in your song about God that you have in your heart, if in that song, does God hurt when someone else is hurting? Like, does God see you when you are hurting and feel it in his belly? Because that's what Jesus is showing us he's like. And secondly, Jesus touches this man. That emotional response leads Jesus to act. And what he does is he reaches out his hand and does what literally no one else would have done. Nobody is about to reach out and touch this man because in their culture, what would have happened if you touch this guy, now you become like him. You become untouchable. It's like you've got the like leprosy cooties got on you and like you have to go live in the quarantine dorm but for like two years, right? Instead of seven days. Now, what's interesting to me is that Jesus very easily could have just thought for this man to be healed and he would have been healed. He didn't have to touch him. And yet he reaches out his hand for everyone to see what God is like and for this man to feel his touch. I mean, how long had it been since this man had been touched by anybody? He reached out and he touched the untouchable. Now, I, I think I'm the only person in the room that has children. And I, I will tell you, some, 
This is what it's like to have children. Um, Studies say that up to 50% of children carry the eggs of what's called pinworms on their body at any given time. Okay? Just get ready, y'all. Okay? Um, And my children have developed the pinworms from time to time. My children call pinworms buttworms. And I won't go into the ins and outs of what pinworms or buttworms do. Um, but suffice it to say is they live in your butt. Okay? And I used to think that didn't mean that we were just disgusting until I found out that 50% of kids carry pinworm eggs on their body. Everyone is disgusted right now in the room. One time we were at the playground and some friends were pushing our kids on the swing and we started explaining, my kids started explaining pinworms to them. And suddenly, no one wanted to push anybody on the swing anymore. I think that if I had a, had a, like a can of gas, that the people that were pushing my kids on the swing would have let me douse them in it to wash them from that. I just heard someone snort. I'll take a snort. When there are, there are things that happen that make us untouchable. <laughs> and in that moment, my, one of my kids got really upset because she was getting this great push on the swing. And suddenly she's like, oh, you can't, now you can't swing me anymore? And uh, I, I came in and because and, I'm immune to the pen. That's not true. I'm not immune to the pinworms. That's another story for another day. Um, and neither are you, my friends. Neither are you. Um, what Jesus is showing is something that you already know. Um, you guys all know what an unsafe touch feels like. But you also know how healing to your soul a safe touch feels like. Or a safe embrace. How healing it is to us. And Jesus, he touched this man and it would have made him unclean. And he's showing us exactly what God is like. Because what Jesus actually did at the cross was that he allowed himself to be put out of the community of God. So that we could be welcomed in. I don't know if you know this, Jesus when he's at the cross, right before he dies, he cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was put out of the family of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, so that we could be welcomed in, so that you could be called a beloved child. So in your song about God, does God reach out and touch the untouchable? And and lastly, finally, Jesus speaks. And this is just, it's so short, but it's so powerful. He reaches out his hand and touches him. And he says, I will. I will. Because the guy said, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I will. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed. Jesus reaches out his hand and he says, be clean. And when the man is cleansed, those words completely change his identity. He goes from being outside the camp, unclean, untouchable, to being restored to his community, clean, whole, healthy. He's restored to life and not to isolation and death. And I wonder if you know that Jesus can speak 
words that change your identity like that. That he can say to you, no, you are beloved. You are whole. And he can make it so. Um, This is a, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine. I'm not using her name, but um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to call her Hannah in the story. But um, she uh, is like, yeah, she was just like a, a, a big stoner. And um, really, I don't know what you guys were expecting. I was going to say she was a stoner and she's really into like rave culture and uh, which is awesome. And um, but yeah, like just a heavy drug user. And I got to know her and she's just great. Uh, she was she was studying accounting and um, at another school and she was awesome. And everyone knew her as like the stoner, you know, that that was like, it wasn't like a part of her. It was all of who she was. It was a huge part of her identity. And when we were sitting down once, um, and, uh, having coffee, having coffee, um, she, uh, she told me a little bit of her story and she was telling me about something that I won't go into details, but something that happened in high school and a guy that she liked and he asked her to text and something, and she did, and then you guys know how this story works. Got passed around the school, everyone knew. And she told me that story, and she said, you know, I wasn't like this then, but at that moment, I decided to be Hannah the stoner, because that was the only thing that could keep me from being Hannah the slut. Um, Someone gave her an identity, betrayed her trust and then was she was given an identity that she did not deserve and the only way that she could change that identity was to take on another identity which also didn't express her fullness and diminished her it wasn't an identity of freedom and how many identities do we have to go through trying to find one that will give us rest When you come to Jesus and you say yes to him, when you do like this man does and you implore him saying, if you will, you can make me clean, even if you don't really know what that means, he makes a declaration to you and tells you who you are, that you're beloved, that you're welcomed, that you're new, that you're beautiful. The scripture says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone Behold, the new has come. Jesus does it and we receive it. We get invited into a circle where we are actually able to say new things about ourselves that feel weird. Like these girls come into the circle in the swans in the huddle and the girls that have been on the swans before are like, I'm awesome. Everybody deal with it. And these new girls come in not sure if it's okay to say that. Not sure if it's okay to be loved and accepted in that way. Um, and I'll close on this. This morning I had breakfast with a friend. We've been friends for a long time. And um, I, since moving to Winston, um, have always just wanted to be closer with him and his wife, who are just dear friends or like family. But um, just I haven't followed up with them to the degree that I really want to. And when I think about them, I think about 
the ways that I have failed to be present in their life. And um, that's the first thing that kind of comes to mind. And so we had set up to have um, breakfast this morning. And as we were talking, I was just sitting there thinking like, man, I love him so much. This is such a joy. And I'm so grieved. I feel like I failed him and his wife and they have a new baby. I feel like I've really failed them. And at the end of our breakfast, we took some time to pray together. And um, we closed our eyes and bowed our head and we went to pray. And he started praying and he started thanking God. And he said, Lord, thank you for, for Chris's presence in my life these last 10 years. He's been, a, he's been a buoy to me. And y'all, like, in that moment, I just, I, how I had failed or how what I felt about my performance as his friend went away. And what was left was just like, I'm accepted and I love him. And Jesus is able to speak an identity into our lives based on his healing power that can free us from all those playing over again and again, our failures and all the identities we try to add to ourselves and all the ways we try not to be on the outside and he can draw us to himself. And if that song about God is true, then you just, you have to play it. You got to play it to yourself and you got to play it to others. Um, Yeah, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the song that you teach us about God. Lord, that you respond to where we are deeply in your, in your belly and that you reach out and heal with your touch and that you speak a new and good word. Lord Jesus, you lived and died and were raised so that we could be close to you. Lord, help us to believe that it's true. Even as we sing the song, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.